0: This morning I'll be reading from Exodus chapter 32. If you've got one of the black Bibles on the chairs, it's on page 70. So this morning I'll be reading um, verses 1 to 14, then we'll skip a few verses and then read from verse 30 to 35. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, They gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. We don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed to him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, "'Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, "'These are your gods, Israel, whom brought who brought you up out of Egypt.'" I have seen these people, said the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt? with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them from off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give you, give your descendants all this land I promised to them and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moving on to verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made.
1: Thank you, Simon. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonathan and I'm one of the ministers here at church. And today we are continuing our um, series of talks in the book of Exodus, um, a book which is all about the God, a golden God, a great God, saving a fallen and corrupt people. Indeed, at the bottom of uh, the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai in Egypt... The people of God did rock bottom. After crying out for help because they were slaves in Egypt, after being heard by the Lord, looked on them and was concerned about them, after being carried on eagles' wings and saved from slavery, after being guarded, protected, and fed in the desert, the Israelites fell from grace. They fell from grace. That the people of God have a golden leader. A golden leader in the person of Moses. And a golden God. A golden God in the person of the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us. We praise you that you are a golden God who loves us. And we pray that by your spirit you would make us uh, obedient to your word and that we would trust in you and worship you alone in Christ then we pray amen the fallen people of god have a golden god i got three things this morning to help us see that first of all the golden monster uh, verse 1 to 6 secondly the golden leader Verse 7 to 14, and finally the golden savior, the golden monster, the golden leader, and the golden savior, and you can follow that on the, the, in the bulletin. So let's start with verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, did you see that verse 1? When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, when the Lord had given him the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, they became impatient. Moses had only been away for 40 days and 40 nights, approximately six weeks. But that was long enough to create an atmosphere of uncertainty. I mean... Look at the end of this one. As for the fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know. We don't know what has happened to him. So to reassure themselves, the people made a visible symbol of God's presence. An idol cast in the shape of a calf. A young bull. And I think the Israelites were probably influenced by the Egyptians who used to worship a bull deities like an apis, for instance. Uh, you can see a, a statue of apis on, on the screen. And that's what we call idolatry, isn't it? The adoration of uh, material and visible creative things Instead of an immaterial and invisible God, creator, the adoration of, of false gods, such as uh, money today. You see, the Israelites had promised, they had promised that they would obey the law. We can read that in chapter 24. They promised that they would obey the, the, the Ten Commandments, God's law. But they broke the first commandment the second commandment, and probably the seventh commandment. They worshipped the wrong God in the wrong way and did the wrong things. Do you remember the first commandment? Exodus chapter 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not have other gods than me. Second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Seventh commandment, do you remember what it is? You shall not commit adultery, sexual immorality. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid that's what, that's what is going on in our text this morning. Look at the six with me. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry revelry, which probably means or includes some kind of orgy and uh, sex play, let's call a spade, a spade or a cat, a cat, as we say in French. And if you need to visualize the scene, I mean, within reason, have a look at this famous painting by Nicolas Poussin, one of the greatest painters of uh, the 17th century. In this painting called The Adoration of of a Golden Calf, you can see the golden calf, can you? Kind of in the middle. Surrounded by male and female dancers and a crowd of people kneeling down and kneeling and listening to Aaron. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? But what a quick descent, what a quick descent into self-indulgent religion. What a quick descent into self-indulgent religion. Did you notice how quickly impatience and uncertainty, remember, we don't know what happened to Moses. Oh, what are we going to do? Did you notice how impatience and uncertainty led to idolatry and... Immorality. I think that just goes to show that the Israelites were not living by faith, but by, by sight. They needed to see something to deal, to deal with their impatience and feeling of uncertainty. And I wonder, I wonder if we're not in, in, in danger of falling in the same trap today. Especially in our very visual culture. How are you going with impatience and uncertainty in your life? Especially at this time of the life of our church. How do you deal with impatience and uncertainty? How do you feel when God seems to take forever, a long time, to answer your prayers? Maybe you've been praying for something or someone for years, and you can't see anything happening, from your perspective at least. What do you do when you feel worried or anxious? When you don't feel God's presence, and when you need to feel reassured? What do you do concretely, practically? Well, maybe you can't afford to make a a, a golden calf, A calf out of gold, but you might be tempted to use a picture, a statue, or even a mental image of God to focus on in prayer, especially if you've got a very creative mind, uh, unlike mine. Of course, if a picture of an eagle pops up in your mind, when I tell you that God carried his people on eagle's wings, can you see an eagle in your mind right now? If you close your eyes, maybe you can see an eagle in your mind carrying its eaglets out of slavery from Egypt. I think that's okay. I think that's okay. Just don't worship the eagle, okay? But do do you really think, do you really think that we need a mental image? Do we? That's fascinating. Exodus chapter 32, just before, uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 32, verse 18. When the Lord, 31, finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he didn't give him an image or a statue, but what did God give Moses after speaking to him? A statue? A picture? No, what did he give him to take along with him? Remember? The tablets of the covenant law. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Words. In other words, His Word. Do you remember? When Moses finished speaking with with God, God gave it to take away with him and to share with the people His Word. Not a statue, not a picture. And that's very interesting, I think, because if you want to see God today... You don't need a statue, do you? You don't need an image. You don't need a mental picture. All you need is... His word, His moral law, the Ten Commandments in that instance, which reflects God's character and ultimately points to Christ, who was fully man and fully God. If you struggle against sin in your life and if you haven't resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood... The author of the epistle of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. To think about him, to consider him when due to such a position from sinners, so that will not, you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is the only image we need. Do you know why? Because he is the image of the invisible God Colossians chapter one verse fifteen is the exact representation of God's being. Hebrews chapter one verse three. So why don't you why don't you remember and meditate on what Christ did in the gospels? On what he said, and especially on that amazing claim. In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. My friends, do you want to see God? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at him. Meditate on his word, Think about him. Talk to him. Praise him. The Father and the Son share indeed the same divine nature. So the people of God made a golden monster, but they've got a golden leader. And that's my second point today. The golden leader, verse 7 to 14 and 30 to 35. And in these verses, the Lord seems to us abandoned, forsaken his people. Look at verse 7. It's quite sad, really, to read. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people, Moses, not my people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, not I, have become corrupt. Look at verse 9. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, so that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, a great nation. Isn't that terrible to read? As a result of a great sin, verse 31, as a result of a great sin they've committed, there's now like a a distance between God and his people. It's a bit like a relationship with a friend is broken. Can you see or feel the distance there is between you and them? And maybe that's how you feel when you know you've done something wrong in God's eyes. You feel as if there was a distance between you and God. Have you felt that way before? But in fact, I wonder, I wonder, is it that God is distant from us? Or that we are distant from Him? Because we don't trust Him. Because we don't love Him. Because we don't obey Him as we should. What do you think? But the good news is that the fallen people of God have got a golden God, a wonderful God. The good news is that this distance between God and his people, because of sin, this distance can be reduced. Do you know why? Well, look at verse 12. First of all, because of the glory and honor of God's name. Verse 12, Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth. In other words, Moses is not so much concerned about his glory, do you remember, being a great nation, or about his reputation, but about God's reputation, God's glory. He doesn't want the Egyptians to think that God saved his people with the intention of killing them which has never been the case. And I wonder if we've got the same priorities in your life, in your work, at home, at uni. Are you more concerned about your reputation, your glory, or about God's glory, God's reputation in all you do? The second reason why there's hope is because of God's promises. Look at verse 13. Remember your servants, Moses says, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will give you descendants all this land I promised them. And it will be their inheritance forever. In other words, Moses is appealing to God's faithfulness to his promises. God, that's what you promised to your people. Now, what is the Lord going to do? Suspense. Well, as you know, in his grace, which is an undeserved favor, in his mercy, the Lord is going to relent. The Lord is going to relent. His people will not be destroyed. The Lord won't do it. But that doesn't mean that they will go unpunished. And maybe you find verse 14 a bit uh, confusing, the fact that God relented. I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean that God uh, um, repented? Or does that mean that God changes mind as you can read in some translations that's a bit of a tough one i must say but the short answer to this quite complicated question can be put in that way and i think that's key to understand what the bible says about god's sovereignty and human responsibility okay there's no contradiction at all we're not saying god is sovereign and that god is not sovereign we're not saying humans people are not responsible and people are responsible. The Bible just says that God is sovereign and that humans are responsible at the same time. And I think the short answer is this one. I've wrote it down on the screen for us. God's character does not change, but His plan of salvation is unfolding and includes answers to prayer. Can I repeat that again? God's character does not change, but his plan of salvation for the world is unfolding. And this plan includes, in God's sovereignty, answers to prayer. God's character does not change in the sense that he is the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, but is also just It does not leave a guilty unpunished. Does that ring a bell? That's just a couple of chapters afterwards. Exodus 34. And that will never change. God's character does not change. The law doesn't change. He's the same. He remains the same. But his plan of salvation for his people, for the world, for you and me, is unfolding. And that plan includes... Answers to prayer, and I think that the fact that God relented, so to speak, was part of a plan. It was part of God's eternal plan of salvation for his people. You see, God is going to use Moses' heartfelt and desperate prayer to accomplish His purposes, his plans. Listen to what Moses says at the end of, uh, of a chapter. verse 31. Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive a sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Maybe Moses is kneeling down and praying in desperation. Doesn't this prayer remind you of Someone else's prayer in the New Testament? Blot me out of a book you have written. Please forgive their sin. Doesn't that remind you of something else in the New Testament? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in his prayer for the people of Israel, his own people. Romans chapter 9, verse 1 to 4. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Is that how you pray for people in Australia? Is that how you pray for people in China, if you're from China? Is that how you pray for people in Singapore, if you're from Singapore? Do you have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in your heart for them? Do you wish that you could be cursed and cut off from Christ, so that they can be saved? Do you say, God, God, do what it takes, do what you need to do, take my life if necessary, please, but save his people. I don't do that. <laughs> I'm so lazy. I don't have his love for the lost. I don't. And I wonder what would happen if we prayed with such passion, with this sense of desperation for, for, for the members of our family who are not Christians, our moms and dads, our brothers and sisters, our cousins, for our friends at work, for our work colleagues in the office, for our neighbors. If only we prayed with just passion and sense of desperation. But I don't. Never underestimate, never underestimate the power of desperate prayers. Never underestimate this power of desperate prayers. Not based on ourselves. It has nothing to do with us in a way. But based on God's character and purposes. Based on God's grace, God's compassion, God's love, God's faithfulness to His promises. You see, God is looking for people who know him, who love him, who trust him, who want to obey him, who are ready to wrestle, to agonize in prayer, to accomplish his purposes for the salvation of the world. What a privilege it would be, to, it is to be able to be included in God's plan. He can use us to accomplish his plans. Are you one of his people? Are you? God wants all people to be saved. We know that. The Lord is not slow with keeping his promise. Instead, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Of course, that doesn't mean everyone will be saved. That doesn't mean that. But that's not for us to decide, you see. It's for God to decide. Our job is to pray. To pray, to pray, and to pray again. And to share the gospel when there is a chance to do it. Just go for it. What have you got to lose? Your friends, your reputation? In his book on on prayer called um, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. By the way, if you haven't read this book in your Christian life, please take six months to read it, okay? If you can. I know you're very busy. Don Carson shares what he calls his lessons from the school of prayer. And there are five lessons. I'm just going to share three with you. First lesson of prayer, we must plan to pray, which means that we must self-consciously set aside time to do nothing but pray, says Carson. So can I ask, what time of a day do you set aside to do nothing but pray? If you don't do it, what time of the day could you set aside to do nothing but pray? It doesn't have to be for two or three hours. It can be even five minutes. But my friends, if we don't plan to pray self-consciously, purposefully, the likelihood is that we will never pray. Second lesson, we need to adopt what Carson calls practical ways to impede and I think it means to to stop, to block mental drifts. If you're a Christian and if you pray, uh, maybe you struggle like me with mental drifts. It goes like this. Lord, oh, thank you for this new day. I praise you for your love for me. Oh no, I forgot to check if my team won last night. Let me just quickly check that on my mobile. Do, do, do you mind, God? Sorry, just five seconds. Yes, they won. Okay, back to business now. Come on. Come on. And I do it all the time. One way to avoid mental drift is to vocalize your prayers and to pray over the scriptures. So can I ask, did you vocalize your prayers when it's appropriate to do so, of course? Do you pray over scriptures? Do you have a few scripture passages, you know, by heart and you, you can use it in your prayer time? Straight away, third lesson, develop a system for your prayer lists. Uh, for the past few months, I've been using Prayer Mate, which uh, David Shannon um, introduced me to. And I want to thank you, Dave, because that's uh, been a really good, good good, app. And if you don't know that app, um, basically, uh, I strongly recommend to, to use it because it helps you organize your prayer life by providing categori- categories, to file, you request. That's, that's tremendously practical. So personally, I try to use prayer mate in the morning before dropping the kids at school. I'm not doing, I do it every day. I do my best to do it every morning for five or ten minutes. Or even when I walk, I sometimes go for a 15 minute walk around the block and I use my, my app as I walk or when I drive. But please, please, if you pray while driving, make sure you don't close your eyes, okay? So the fallen people of God have made a golden monster, but they've got a golden leader and a golden God, a golden Savior. And that's my third and final point this morning, the golden Savior. At the end of our chapter this morning, out of uh, solidarity with his people, Moses is going to try to atone for, to pay for the sin of the people of Israel himself. Look at verse uh, 30 with me. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement, sorry, it's not an easy word to say for me, for your sin. The Lord replies by promising that his angel will go before the people to lead them to the promised land, but that Moses cannot atone, pay for the sins of the people himself. Why? Well, I, I think it's clear from the rest of the passage. Each person, each member of God's people is responsible for their own sin and will die as a result because the wages of sin is, is death. The consequence of sin is death. Moses cannot possibly die for someone else, even less so for thousands of people. That's just impossible. You see, the people need a better leader. The people need a better mediator who truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. The people need a better leader. And the good news, the liberating news, is that we have such a mediator today. If you're a Christian, you have such a mediator today. If you're not a Christian yet, you can have this mediator today if you put your trust in Him. Jesus, the Christ, is the perfect mediator because He doesn't need to offer sacrifices after day, of day, First for His own sins and then for the sins of the people. Jesus is a perfect mediator because he sacrificed himself for our sins once for all. Jesus is the only mediator we need. The perfect mediator but also the golden savior because he can take away our sins if you repent and believe in him because he bore our sins in his body on the cross where the punishment required to satisfy God's righteous wrath fell upon him. For Christ suffered once for sins, righteous for realness, to bring us to God. Let's pray to finish. We can let the Spirit of God work in our heart through the work of God to help us do the will of God Lord God and Heavenly Father as we come to you in repentance and faith we pray that you would forgive our impatience our incredulity our idolatry our immorality our spiritual laziness our lack of love for the lost. We thank you because you are gracious, compassionate, slow in anger, rich in love, but also just. And we pray, we pray with all our hearts that you would save you people in this country and in the rest of the world for the honor and glory of your name. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.